The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nicole Draffin is the award-winning author of The Hyphened Nation, Don't Check the Box, a literary memoir that provides a unique global perspective on Americans' hyphenated history and its impact on millions of American people of colour. Draffin's experiences living abroad allowed her to gain a deeper understanding of this important issue, inspiring her to shed light on it in today's climate of cultural and racial tension. And Nicole is with us here. How are you doing today? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm excellent, thank you. So by hyphenated nation, what do you mean by that? One thing, I, well, a hyphenated or hyphened nation, the name of the book, is that what I mean is that we live in a country at which I didn't even realize but I traveled outside of the country, mainly to England, was that we're one of the only countries that uses a hyphenated nationality um, to separate people. And by separating people, I mean that, uh, i.e. African American, Chinese American, Arab American. Instead of just saying American, we are using hyphens to create biases and stereotypes and separating people. Yeah. And so that's what I mean by a hyphened nation where in places like England, when I visited, that was non-existent. And it was very surprising to me because I didn't realize that other countries didn't do that. And also the way I was treated and the way um, people interacted with me was, was such, um, such, such a, a a different um, experience that it made me understand that there was there was something deeply wrong with the way that we treated each other, the way we saw each other. Um, just it's just a deeply hmm, um, disturbing experience that I when I left England and went back to America, I knew that this was something I needed to talk about with people, you know, and discuss this. And and, and quite honestly, people who do travel outside of the country, people of color, are very well aware of this. It's just something that we 
we don't talk about. Yeah. So that's, that's what I meant by hyphened military interest. So why do you think America is so hyphened compared to other countries? Because as you mentioned, it seems to only be an American thing. Yes. From what I can tell, it's been used as a way to separate us. I look at it as divide and conquer because it, the entire time that I've um, um, grown up, that I've been in the country, I was born and raised there in California specifically. When you use a hyphen to separate people, you can categorize them and you can you can label them. You can put them into a, a bucket. This, these, these people are like this. These are Chinese people. They go here. These are people with of African descent. They go here. These are people of Arabic descent. They go here. And when you, the only people actually who are truly categorized as American in America are white people. They are just American. There's no extra category categorization. And, you know, if you notice a hyphen, if you look at a hyphen, a hyphen looks exactly like a minus I. And it is used in the same context in our country. It is used to diminish our um, nationality instead of bringing us all together. And as an example of that, when I um, went to England and uh, people, when I talk to people when I when they approach me or when I approach someone and I ask the question, one of the first comments um, that they would make would be, oh, you're American. And quite honestly, outside of inside of America, I had never been called, oh, you're an American. It was, oh, you know, you're African-American or better yet, a lot of people of color get asked this question, what are you? And the what are you question usually stems from they want to find out what your ethnic background is so they can they can they feel more comfortable interacting with you because oh you're black so you must like this you must like uh soul food you must like jazz you must like this instead of allowing any type of individuality you're not allowed that in this country you have you're constantly fighting against stereotypes and it's, it's and you don't realize it when you're when you're here when you're living here you don't realize that you spend your entire life fighting against bias it's like you're you're, you're trying to overcome the bias that comes from books um music that comes from television, a great part of it comes to our government. And so my goal is to bring this reality to light so that we can basically do something to change it. I don't know. Are you familiar with Plato's Decay? Uh, certainly familiar with Plato. Okay. Well, Plato has a, a story. It's called Decay. Basically, these men were, in, and I'm just going to paraphrase, um, these men were inside of, um, basically raised up inside of a cave. Their backs were to the opening of the cave. They were chained inside the cave. Their backs to the opening so they, the light could go past them and create shadows. And they thought that these shadows were what was reality. The shadow of a bird had a meaning behind it, person walking um, between them, um, behind them and the light that was shadow and it was creating something. And they just really created this entire world based on shadow. One of the guys escaped. When he went outside the cave, at first everything was so bright he couldn't see. And then as he started to see, he realized that everything he believed to be true was not. It was like, wow, these are not. That's not real. What we're seeing, those are shadows. So eventually, he came back after he had experienced all this. Came back inside the cave, tried to save the other people in the cave, and explained to them, those are not. That's not real. What you're seeing, that's a shadow. Outside, the world is very different. 
And when he told them this, they became very angry and pretty much wanted to hurt him, to kill him. They said, he must be crazy. This is this is reality, not what he's saying. That pretty much sums up exactly how I felt when I came back to America after experiencing living in England for, England for a short time. I felt like I had I had been living in a cave and everything that I knew was false. And it gave me such a sense of individuality to know that the, what we live in is a bubble compared to what is out there you know even I mean just it was it was just it's just it was just amazing I I mean I'm sure you can tell I absolutely love England yeah. I, I think you guys are so far ahead of us and I'm not I'm not putting England on a pedestal and saying that you don't have any social ills I know that there are social ills all over the world yeah and but what I'm saying is that England is probably about 20 years ahead of the United States as far as diversity and inclusion and just the feeling of national pride yeah Maybe because America's so hugely populated and sometimes it could be argued some Americans think that America is the centre of the world. America is kind of like a default thing. You have to be categorised within that, you know, and maybe that's the reason. Well, you know, here's the thing. But do we have to be categorised? Why Why are we are we categorised because we want to be categorised? Because I can tell you from first-hand experience, we do not. This is this conversation that you and I are having is had by millions of people of color all over the world. And think about this. Think about if you have an interracial couple. What are their children? Their children are treated based on the way they look. If they're darker, oh, you're African-American. If you're lighter and you don't look like you're black, oh, okay, you're white. And you get, that's that's the part that makes it really, really um, difficult. And so many uh, multicultural, multiracial people have this, they, it's like they're struggling to sit on this sense of, I'm not black enough i'm not white enough why why can't you just be enough why can't you just be an individual we are not raised to be individual we have to be we have to fit into a niche of who other people think we are and i'm not saying that that happens in other countries but in here it's it is the default instead of us being allowed to have some individualism just as i was saying earlier about the conversations of someone not assuming who they think i am based on the color of my skin was so refreshing and so um, awe-inspiring to me. That shouldn't be awe-inspiring. That should be just the way it is that you are just seen as an individual, which accounts for a lot of the problems that we're having in the country right now with Nathan. Yeah, And not just, you know, shootings and things of that nature, but just in general, um, we are not allowed. People of color are truly not allowed individuality in a way that they can just be themselves. And it's, it's ridiculous. So you've interviewed people for the book. How did you go about selecting those individuals? A lot of people actually approached me and they talked about um, how their experiences, they started sharing their experiences with me. And that, because it was really hard for me to write this book because I am not a person that really wants to uh, share my opinion about a lot of political things or a lot of things that are going on in the country. And so when I finally wrote this book, and it has a lot of very um, strong opinions in it, I um I started being approached and, and the people were overwhelmingly happy with the fact that this conversation was being put out, you know, into the general public. And that's how, again, a lot of the people who I interviewed were 
people who approached me and or when they asked me about it, when they asked about what the book was about, and I told them, they said, oh, I, that's, you talk about that all the time, or they tell me their experience. Or surprisingly, I, a lot of um, white people would say, you know what, I've always wondered that. I've always wondered why we hyphenated citizens um, by uh, ethnicity before nationality. So this is a conversation that truly needs to be had. And just people are afraid, you know, to, to put it out there or to talk about it. They feel uncomfortable. It is, it's a conversation that we must have and be put on the table and, and have some, uh, and get some different perspectives on why we have it and what we should do to overcome this. And what do you hope readers will take away from the book? Do you hope that it's maybe going to change the way people describe people or I suppose even just wake them up to this? Both. Um, it, it, it will change the way that we um, see each other as American citizens and it will make um, people stop, take a take a step back and say, wow, wait a minute, it question their own biases because we all have biases, but you know, it takes, if you take a moment and say, wait a minute, what if this person was my sister? What if this person was my brother? What if this person was my cousin, uncle or whatever? It if you stop for a moment and say, okay, let me take this person at face value as another human being and talk to them, I think a lot of people would learn a lot more about other people without first applying that bias of before you see that I'm a woman, before you before you talk to me, before you see anything else, you see I'm black and it immediately um, creates bias where I didn't experience that in England at all. It was just, to me, I mean, I, I still find it, I miss it. I really do. Yeah. Are there any particular stories or experiences that you learned along the way when you were interviewing people or that are just in the book for any other reasons that particularly resonated with you? I think that one of the things that particularly resonated with me was that people are exhausted with having to explain themselves or, or, or have to fight against biases. They, they've gotten to a point, and I see this a lot with Gen Zers, a lot. They have just decided that I will be damned if I allow you to to face who I am specifically on you know what you see uh, the color of my skin and they they've almost taken it to another level where they have uh, their individual their individualism comes shining through they are. They are smashing stereotypes. They are refusing to be put in boxes where I'm a Gen Xer and that I'm I'm used to just kind of staying in my lane and lane and doing you know okay you know what let me let me just stay right here you know I know this is what people are going to think about me based on what they see so I have to act the opposite. That is over. <laughs> that is over. Okay, but these kids now they are like I'm not having it. And so I, I'm, I'm rooting for them because they're doing such a great job. I mean, nothing's perfect, but these kids out here are, are saying, I'm not allowing you to, to define you. You define you. And that's kind of like what our battle cry is for this whole mission is you define you. Don't allow others. And I wish, I mean, if I had to go back in time, that would be, and just be my authentic self, that would be something I would just embrace wholeheartedly. So that was definitely 
And I suppose the overall message of this book is we're all Americans. Not me, obviously, but people from America. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you put in front of that. And I think the thing is as well, most African-Americans grew up in America don't particularly feel any connection to Africa, I would take it. Well, some do, but it has nothing to do with that because, see, what I think what people fear is that if you unhyphenate your nationality, it's somehow taken away from your cultural identity. I mean, when I went to uh, England, I met people from all different ethnicities and in their homes, they um, celebrated different um, different types of celebrations that strictly had to do with their cultural um, identity. But all in all, they were, you know, they were Mancunian or they're from Liverpool or they're from London. And yeah. that was like, the, <laughs> you know, the accent especially, you know, I didn't even know uh, when you, that England had so many accents. That was, that was a shocker. Yes. <laughs> as far as that's concerned. It's but crazy. Yes, because it is. <laughs> it was, I mean, you drive 10 miles and next thing you know, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Everybody sounds different. That was shocking because I think a lot of Americans think that all uh, people from England sound like um, you or, <laughs> or sound like Hugh Grant or, you yeah. know, uh, Liz Hurley. Or, uh, and so that um, that was a shocker, that and longboats for me. But um, no, <laughs> but, but yes, it's, um, it's, you know, America is a mosaic. Of, of, of different cultural um, identities and things of that um, nature. We're talking about national identity and national um, togetherness and seeing each other as Americans versus African slash American. And as far as African American is concerned, you're right. There are, like for me, for example, as it, I think that the African culture is beautiful, but if you think about it, Africa is a continent with hundreds of different languages and cultures and states. And it's like, if you you know, if you're going to choose, I mean, are you Zambian? Are you Ghanaian? Are you Nigerian? Are you South African? You know, there are so many countries within that continent with different, very distinct cultural histories. So you're going to take an entire continent, attach it to America and say, that's what you are. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yes. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you've got African-Americans, but also Italian-Americans. One's a continent, one's a country. Exactly, exactly. It's like, it's really insane. And so that's the kind of conversation that we need to start having and saying, why are we doing this? Yeah. And, and who is it benefiting? Truly, the only people it benefits are people who benefit from racism. That's who it benefits because I hear politicians say, oh, I, I'm trying to get the African-American vote. I'm trying to get the Chinese-American vote, the Spanish-American vote. But what about the American vote? You know, so that is what the problem is. And it benefits it's the government to separate people because divide and conquer is how people stay in power. That's yeah. why we have so many. It's like we don't even have political parties anymore. We have football teams and you root for whichever one you want. I mean, Republican, Democrat. I mean, why can't you're all supposed to be here for the American people, but you're not. They're there for themselves, period. Because the only people that are getting rich off of what they're talking about itself or it's beneficial to them. We are a divide and conquer. That's specifically what it is. And that's what the hyphen is used to do. Minimize, divide and conquer. Well, have you got any more books on the way that you're working on? Yes, actually, I'm working on a book right now that talks about the danger of presumption. And so... <laughs> <laughs> You know, and the missed opportunities that we have as individuals because of that. So I'm working on a book right now about that. 
exciting. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. this book is called Hyphened Nation. Where are we able to find it? Everywhere. <laughs> you, can go, <laughs> you can find it on my website at hyphen-nation.com. You can go on Barnes & Noble. Um, it is available on Amazon UK, Amazon, uh, of course, USA. Um, I said Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, any bookstore. If you type in Hyphened Nation, you're going to find it at any bookstore you, that you would normally um be able to find online. It's not in bookstores, but it's definitely available online and it's available on an audio book for the people that like me who love to listen to books while they work or drive or walk. Yeah. Well, many thanks for talking to us today. It's been great to have you here on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. It's been lovely. Thank you. The throbbing pulse of sound, the Toby Gribbon Show.